If you enjoy listening to this podcast, we ask you to consider supporting it by making a one-time or reoccurring donation. Visit Mayflower's website at www.mayflowerucc.org and click on the Donate tab in the menu. Donations made to Mayflower's Communications Fund are tax-deductible and help ensure that this podcast is available. Thank you for your support. The sermon you are about to hear was preached at Mayflower Congregational UCC Church in Oklahoma City by the Reverend Dr. Lori Walkie, senior minister at one of America's premier liberal Protestant pulpits. At Mayflower, we are an open and affirming peace and justice church where we believe religion should be biblically responsible, intellectually honest, emotionally satisfying, and socially significant. We go now to the pulpit of Mayflower Congregational UCC Church of Oklahoma City and to the preaching and teaching of Reverend Dr. Lori Walkie. Good morning. Welcome to Mayflower Congregational United Church of Christ, where no matter who you are or where you are on life's journey, you are welcome here. I seek refuge. Do not let me ever be put to shame. In your righteousness, deliver me. Incline your ear to me. Rescue me speedily. Be a rock of refuge for me, a strong fortress to save me. You are indeed my rock and my fortress. For your name's sake, lead me and guide me. Take me out of the net that is hidden from me, for you are my refuge. Into your hand I commit my spirit. You have redeemed me, O Lord, faithful God. You hate those who pay regard to worthless idols, but I trust in the Lord. I will exult and rejoice in your steadfast love. Because you have seen my affliction, you have taken heed of my adversities and have not delivered me into the hand of the enemy. You have set my feet on a broad place. Be gracious to me, O Lord, for I am in distress. My eyes waste away from grief, my soul and body also. For my life is spent with sorrow and my years with sighing. My strength fails because of my misery and my bones waste away. But I trust in you, O Lord. I say you are my God. My times are in your hand. Deliver me from the hand of my enemies and persecutors. Let your face shine upon your servant. Save me in your steadfast love. Jesus, 
Will you bow your heads with me? We've done so much cheering this month, Holy One, even though we knew the chances were slim that our team would win it all. March Madness calls for leaving open the possibility. Loyal and true, we know the words and sing them loud. We cheered even though we knew those basketball blue bloods would inevitably be the one hoisting the trophy when all was said and done. So we wonder, is this how people felt, the ones who lined the roads and laid down their coats for Jesus as he rode into Jerusalem while Pilate paraded in from the other side of the city? Did they know the chances were slim, but still decided to root for the underdog? Did they know that this moment in the sun would end sooner rather than later? Of course, Jesus wasn't after a trophy. It wasn't about recognition or fame. It wasn't about a throne or power or control. It was to show that love has the last word. Give us the courage to show up, Holy One, even when the odds are against us. Help us to cheer our loudest for justice and mercy, especially when they are the underdogs. The world's madness calls for leaving open the possibility for hope. We pray in the name of our teacher Jesus, who snatched life from the jaws of death. Amen. Our scripture this morning comes from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 19, verses 28 through 40. After he had said this, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. When he had come near Bethphage and Bethany at the place called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of the disciples, saying, Go into the village ahead of you, and as you enter, you will find tied there a colt that has never been ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? Just say this, the Lord needs it. So those who were sent departed and found it as he had told them. As they were untying the colt, its owners asked them, why are you untying the colt? And they said, the Lord needs it. Then they brought it to Jesus and after throwing their cloaks on it, they set Jesus on it. As he rode along, people kept spreading their cloaks on the road. As he was now approaching the path down from the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began to praise God joyfully with a loud voice for all the deeds of power that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest heaven. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, Order your disciples to stop. He answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the stones would shout out. Here ends the reading from our tradition. May God grant to us wisdom and courage for interpretation. Perhaps some of you came this morning knowing that it is Palm Sunday, the first day of Holy Week and there are a host of traditions and rituals that we do during this week. 
Some of you may have come today thinking that we would have the children parade down the center aisle while wildly waving palm branches in each other's faces, corralled by adults who are whisper yelling, shout Hosanna. We are not doing that this morning because no one needs to cry today. We are also not doing that this year because we are reading the story from the Gospel of Luke, who says zero things about palm branches or hosannas. They are not included. It will not offend me if you pull your pew Bible out right now to double check, even though I just read it. If you are just noticing for the first time that this is true, do not feel bad. Each Gospel tells the story differently. Recall that the stories of Jesus' birth in Matthew and Luke are not at all the same. The most important part about all of this, though, at least from the preacher's perspective, is that this text provides an excellent example of how, when someone claims, that's how we've always done it, it's almost never true. No, we have not always had children trying to knife each other with palm branches. Luke doesn't even do it that way. Luke's account has no mention of hosannas or of palms or even of branches cut from trees. We get those in the other Gospels, which allows us to hear more clearly the distinctions between the two processions that entered Jerusalem on that day several thousand years ago. There were two processions, of course. There's only the one in the text, the one that we read about, and then the other one, which we learn about because we engage in socio-historical context in this church. As theologians Dominic Crossan and Marcus Borg describe, one parade was a peasant procession and the other an imperial procession. From the east, Jesus rode in on a donkey down from the Mount of Olives, cheered by his followers. And on the opposite side of the city, from the west, Pontius Pilate, the Roman governor, entered Jerusalem at the head of a column of imperial cavalry and soldiers. Jesus' procession proclaimed the kingdom of God. Pilate's proclaimed the power of empire. The two processions embodied the central conflict of the week that led to Jesus' crucifixion. If Pilate's procession embodied power and glory and violence of the empire that ruled the world, then Jesus' procession embodied an alternative vision, the kingdom of God. And this contrast between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of Caesar is central to the story of Jesus and to Christianity. Although at the time, it must have not seemed like any kind of competition, we can imagine the imperial processions arrival in the city with cavalry on horses, foot soldiers, leather armor, helmets, weapons, banners, eagles mounted on poles, sun glistening on metal and gold. We can hear the sound of marching feet, the creaking of leather, the clinking of bridles, the beating of drums. And then, then we have Jesus and his procession, which in comparison is 
I mean, there is symbolism here, of course. Loads of symbolism. For Luke and the other gospel writers have Jesus fulfill prophecy by leaning heavily on the prophet Zechariah, specifically in chapter 14, verse 4. On that day, his feet shall stand on the Mount of Olives, which lies before Jerusalem on the east. Jesus does not ride in on a horse, but on a donkey. Because according to Zechariah, a king would be coming to Jerusalem, quote, humble and riding on a colt, the foal of a donkey. This king, the text says, riding on a donkey, will banish war from the land. No more chariots, war horses, or anything else. Commanding peace to the nations, he will be a king of peace. In ancient Palestine, the donkey was noble, not despised, and he wasn't even particularly humble. Most of all, the donkey was a symbol of peace. In war, kings rode horses, but not in peacetime. So entering the capital city astride the colt of a donkey signaled, yes, humility, but above all, it signaled peace. Jesus came in peace for peace. Still, even when we know the symbolism, the imagery is just really not that inspiring. There doesn't seem to be meaningful competition between Jesus and his band of merry men and Caesar with his armies and weapons. But oddly, that doesn't seem to register with the disciples or the people who have lined the streets to welcome this king riding in on a donkey. These people have nothing. In this particular version of the story, they don't even have palm branches to wave. They are literally taking the coats off their backs to provide a red carpet of sorts for Jesus. It is all they have. There were no funds for a lead organizer, no one to provide them with poster boards and markers to make signs. They certainly didn't have vinyl banners or bullhorns. There are no designated chant leaders. But that turns out to be okay. They already know their lines. They borrow them from Psalm 118. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. But these folks are not just nice, Bible-quoting people, they are a little salty. We know because they add a word, making it, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. And it is at this point that it becomes clear that the Pharisees in the story are from the Midwest because they almost immediately reply, oh, Things just got uncomfortable. I mean, it is one thing for Jesus to ride in on a donkey and for people to gather along the road to cheer, but it is obviously not okay for Jesus to be associated with power and authority like a king. Peculiar to Luke's account is this objection by some Pharisees to the activity of the disciples. I mean, it could have been that they feared that calling Jesus king would create political repercussions. If so, their reasons might have been from self-interest or to protect the people. That is, let us not upset the Romans and lose what few benefits we have. Or their reason might have been concern for Jesus' safety. You'll remember a few weeks ago they warned Jesus about the threat from Herod. Or, of course, the Pharisees could have simply been registering their disagreement 
with the assessment that Jesus is king. But whatever their problem, Jesus simply responds in a vivid image to affirm the rightness and appropriateness of his disciples' praise. If these were silent, the very stones would cry out. In other words, some things must simply be said. Some things must simply be said. And, and, and what was being said by the crowd that day in proclaiming Jesus to be the king who comes in the name of the Lord? Namely, they were saying that they were tired of the way things were under the kingdom of Caesar. None of the gospels go into detail about the living conditions of the people who Jesus ministered to, but we know that's exactly that it was so bad they didn't have to say it in the Gospels. The people were living it. Violence, oppression, religious legalism, food scarcity, despair. All of those things ruled the day. But then, but then Jesus appeared. Someone who would speak about the plight of the last and the least. Jesus would not leave it to the stones to cry out on behalf of the people. He widened the circle so that those who were sick, those who were tired, those who were sick and tired, could be seen and heard. They told their stories. Ten years ago, what was first known as the Oklahoma Sponsoring Committee officially launched. It's now known as VOICE, Voices Organized in Civic Engagement, a coalition of congregations, nonprofits, worker associations, and schools that have come together out of a deep sense of need and mission and concern about the pressures families face in Oklahoma City. This congregation was at that founding convention, and we are still a member organization of it. At that founding convention a decade ago, the Reverend Dr. George Young led the focus of the meeting. Those of you who were there will very much likely remember it. You will remember his deep, steady voice as he repeated over and over again the phrase, who will speak for me? The question, Reverend Young said, is not heard because of the fact that it has not been spoken with words, but spoken in socialization, institutionalization, and targeted personal defamation. Who will speak for me? The question is asked by those who have a problem putting words into English or using proper grammar, this very simple question, and so they don't speak it at all, at least not out loud. They live it. Transportation is a problem, hunger is a problem, and housing is a problem, Reverend Young continued. The question is asked in the search for satisfaction to each of the preceding listed issues. Who will speak for me? When we look at the news, we ask, where is this Oklahoma City of which they speak? This is not the Oklahoma City that I experience. The local radio stations and local news people whose responsibility it is to report the news, all the news, well, we do not hear all the stories. 
I mean, we get the news of Chesapeake and Devon and the record-breaking donations to the United Way. I can get the OU score. I can get the OSU result. But not much more. The story that is presented by those who can speak is a story only of success evidenced by Bricktown, Downtown, Boathouses, and Townhouses, all not far from the river, but for most of us, a lifetime away. Who will speak for me? Who will speak for you? Who will speak for us? Some things must simply be said. Over the last decade, we have done powerful and meaningful work through voice because we have spoken aloud the stories that were not being told. We lowered the OG&E rate hikes that would have raised utility bills for every resident of Oklahoma. We decreased the number of high-stake tests in our public schools. We kept the predatory lending industry from expanding. We continue to press the issue of criminal justice system that relies on fines and fees that not only keep people trapped, but could seriously lead to their death, given the fact that so far this year, six people have died in the Oklahoma County Jail. And there is still more to give voice to. Transgender rights, reproductive health care, public education, criminal justice. I know, I know, I know this is a discouraging time. The loudest voices right now seem to be the ones who are trying to do terrible things to the people we love. It feels like we do not have the numbers we definitely do not have the power and authority. But this hasn't ever stopped the followers of Jesus, for the Bible tells us so. So, we will keep speaking what we know to be true, that God trusts you to make faithful reproductive health care decisions, that trans rights our human rights, that all children deserve equality and free education, that social services are not a handout, but a safety net, that public school teachers deserve dignity and respect, that we cannot treat the earth as if there is a planet B. So as we begin our walk through Holy Week, we cannot afford to waste this time let us ask, what can't be silenced? What must be said? What things can we not stay quiet about? What is it that needs giving voice to? Apologies? Issues of justice? Truth-telling? Some things must simply be said. So. Clear your throat, church. We have some things to say. You've been listening to the preaching and teaching of Reverend Dr. Lori Walkie, Senior Minister at Mayflower Congregational UCC Church in Oklahoma City. 
More information about the church can be found at www.mayflowerucc.org or by visiting Mayflower's Facebook page. Worship services are every Sunday at 10 a.m. with Sunday school classes for all ages at 9 a.m. Mayflower is located on Northwest 63rd Street in Oklahoma City, one block west of Portland. Thank you for listening.